0: Welcome in. Good morning. Good to see you on this rainy Monday after one of the most busy days in sports. And uh, Drew Brees needs a PR guy. I I mean, I'll say that right now. If you're going to drop a sports story, Drew Brees, you want to do it not on Selection Sunday. My light is really bright, by the way. My goodness. I don't know what happened. I have changed nothing about it either way. So you're getting a whole lot of me this morning. Um, Drew Brees needs a PR guy. Why are you dropping big news on Selection Sunday? But he did it, and we're going to talk about it today. So the bracket got released yesterday. Neither Ole Miss nor Mississippi State made the field of 68. So we'll talk about that. And, of course, Drew Brees officially, officially, officially hanging it up and retiring from the NFL. And we got some news on that front. Who's going to replace Drew Brees? It sounds like they are going to move forward with Taysom Hill And Jameis Winston, I'll give you all the details coming up. But first, again, welcome in. I'm Michael Borke. So glad that you are with me. Um, Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. This is live on YouTube, and I'm going to start eventually putting some other content, original content on the YouTube page, uh, as well as this. Uh, Also, don't forget to search for the podcast and leave a rating and a review. Mike in the morning, Michael Borke in the podcast uh, app. Spotify, leave a rating and a review. And if you're listening in podcast form, this is every day live on the Sports Talk social channels or my own and, of course, that YouTube page. I'm really glad that you guys are with me as you are every morning and busy, busy week upcoming. So, like, today on the radio show, for example, in three hours, we're going to have to fit in an interview with every baseball coach. So we got uh, Scott Berry in the 3 o'clock hour, Chris Limonis in the 4 o'clock hour, Mike Vieco in the 5 o'clock hour, the bracket release, and Drew Brees' retirement all to cover in three hours today. It's going to be impossible to do, and I've got like 28 minutes left to to give some thoughts to you right now. It's a busy, busy, busy day. Uh, We will have a bracket challenge. Now, uh, most of you, if you're listening to this, are online, so you'll see it somewhere. I will give you the code and stuff. I have to make it. I have yet to make it. Um, When I do... Um, I will on this show, we'll do it on the radio show. We'll put it on Twitter. You won't be able to miss it. If you want to be in our bracket challenge pool, I'll tell you how. And the winner, the winner will receive, um, an awesome trip to the Pearl River Resort. So you'll get to play golf at both of their courses. Uh, you'll get a meal on us. You'll get a room on us if you win the bracket challenge. Uh, so I'll give you all that information coming up. It's not just a bracket pool. There's something attached to the end of it. An awesome, awesome trip uh, to a really cool place. You get to play golf, you get to eat, uh, have some fun on us uh, if you win the Bracket Challenge. Of course, there was no Mississippi State in the field of 68. That was as expected. I was a little surprised to see them in the NIT, but they're in the NIT. Uh, No Ole Miss, and that one's a little less surprising. Um, They had a case. So Ole Miss, when you look at their resume compared to some teams that slipped in at the top end, Ole Miss's resume was better than some teams uh, that slipped in. The bottom end probably is what did them in. But no team in the last few that either slipped in or whatever, no team was hotter than Ole Miss. Um, Ole Miss had more quadrant one and two wins than some teams that were able to slip in at the end. Uh, So they did have a case. But they also only have themselves to blame. So I, like I said on the, the Sunday show yesterday, and you guys probably listened to it, so I'll spare you the repetition, but um Ole Miss did have a case, I think. They had a case, um, especially with the top half of their resume being as good as it was. They had a case. But all they had to do was change the result of one game, Vanderbilt, or Mississippi State at home, or one of the two Georgia games or Wichita State or Dayton all they had all this team had to do was figure out how to win one of those games just one and they'd have made the field of 68 so um they closed the season well uh, they certainly showed you the kind of team they were supposed to be all season long um this team was better or should have been better than being a one seed in the NIT. They should have been better than this, but they showed you uh, some good resilience. I mean, they made a run at it. They had a lead, a five-point lead with just over six minutes to go over LSU that would have put them in the NCAA tournament as well. So it it just depends on how you want to look at it, really. Because uh, like I've talked with some Ole Miss people uh, over the last day or so, and a lot of them are, well, the program historically is not very good, and going to an NCAA tournament, missing everything, and then being a one-seat in the NIT is above program standard. And I, I certainly hear that argument. Like, that, that makes sense. Kermit Davis is definitely not on any kind of a hot seat, right? I think this year, though, going into this year, because there's going to be so much roster turnover, is an important year. There's pressure. on. I think there should be pressure on Kermit Davis to... Have a team that is competent and plays well. It's not a tournament or bust situation, but I think there's a little bit of pressure, at least there should be. But when you look at this team, it underachieved relative to the expectations that they told you that they had. From inside the program, it was deep roster, talented team, NCAA tournament team. That came from within. And so now that we know for sure they're not making the NCAA tournament, it is okay to say that it was an underachievement, that it was a disappointment. It's okay to say that. Just because they played well at the end and showed you that they were capable of being that good, um, they still missed the tournament. And it's a team that was good enough, and they showed you that they were good enough to make it. They just weren't consistent uh, enough. They are a COVID replacement. You could see uh, Ole Miss in the tournament still, depending on how COVID tests go. Um, there's a chance they still get in. And I, if I were them, I'd hang the banner in the arena. I don't care if people make fun of it. Just do it. You made the tournament, right? Put a little, small little asterisk next to the appearance. But um, it's a shame to see uh, the teams in Mississippi left out. Um, Ole Miss obviously had a better chance than Mississippi State. But, I mean, there's six games or seven games that they should have won or had a chance to win and, and could not do it. And if you just change the result of one, they make the tournament. So um, the, the seed is not hot. Um, there should be some pressure going into this year. I think so. Um, it's just an underachievement, and that's okay. It, it doesn't mean anything other than you saw that this team should have been better than they were. And that's okay. Um, it's okay to say, I guess is what I mean. I have not myself filled out a bracket yet um I know there are people that like rush to it I, I haven't rushed to it yet uh because of the bracket pool and now that there's an emphasis on uh especially where the three of us on the radio show end up um I want to beat Richard cross especially because it really bothers him um when I do good things or things better than him it drives him nuts I mean drives him nuts uh anytime like I get if the texter like says I do a good job on anything, it bothers him. I swear. so I want to beat him in the bracket so I can just hammer that home for the next few days. Um, I haven't done one yet truthfully. I know a lot of you guys probably just like rushed to it and filled out a bracket right away. I have not done that yet. Um, I do get a, a a kick out of the analysts. you guys probably saw this too on the selection show like after they reveal the whole bracket, they get their their experts to start filling out the bracket. And once they get to the final four, it's like one seed, one seed, one seed, two seed. And it's like, there. I understand why. Like, there's a reason these teams are one seeds. I, I get it. Like, they're the best teams in basketball for a reason, right? But you could pay me, like, half what you're paying those guys, and I could still come to the same conclusion that the one seeds are going to win. Uh, so I've always gotten a kick out of that. Um, but they have a point. What's um, – A common conversation that you get around the NCAA tournament, around the selection, is who got snubbed. Oh, there were snubs. This team and this team should have gotten in, but they didn't. They got snubbed, and it's an easy conversation piece. It's an easy thing to talk about and discuss. But I think it's a big waste of time because you could literally, seriously, you could cut the field in half. Every NCAA tournament field, you could cut in half, all of them, and never eliminate a national champion. You could cut the field in half of all time. All time. Cut the field literally in half and lose six Final Four teams of all time. If you literally cut the field in half before the tournament begins, you would lose six Final Four appearances and zero national champions. So we love the tournament. We love the upsets and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, one seeds have more Final Four appearances, almost double the Final Four appearances as two seeds. One seeds have won the national championship 22 times. Two seeds are the next highest at five. Three seeds have made the final four. Seventeen times, four seeds have made it. Thirteen times, no other seed has made it. Double digit amount of times. National champions come from one seed, twenty-two. Two seeds have won at five. Three seeds have won at four. A four seed has won at once. A six seed has won at once, as a seven and an eight. So, a little advice for you when you're picking brackets. I know we love upsets. I know we love to pick upsets, and the first weekend is usually filled with them. But when you're getting into the Sweet 16, when you're getting into the Elite Eight and the Final Four, pick the better seed. Because history tells you, simply, that while we all think that the tournament is filled with upsets, it's it's really not. Especially when you get to the second and third weekend, the better teams are winning these games. Like I said, 57 Final Four appearances for a one seed, 29 for a two seed, 17 for a three seed, and 13 for a four. More than double the one seeds have made the national championship than twos and threes. 22 national champions are one seeds. Two has five, three has four. So I, I get a kick out of these analysts that are like, oh, here's a one, here's a one, here's a one. They're going to win. Well, they have the data to back that up. So when you're in our bracket challenge, when you're filling out your bracket, that's all you need to know right there that your 12 seed. They're not making the final four. It's not happening. Your five seeds aren't winning anything of value. They may, may slip into the Elite Eight. But generally speaking, pick the higher seed. When in doubt, go with your one seed. That's it. History tells you, like I said, you could literally cut the field in half and never lose a national champion. Cut the field in half. So everybody wastes their time on this is really what I'm getting at. Excuse me. Um, Everybody wastes their time. There are – snubs aren't important because the teams that just slip in – I mean, Syracuse was a 10 seed and went far one time. But it's a wasted conversation. It's a waste of time unless you're a fan or or involved in the school, of course you want to make the NCAA tournament for a monetary situation, but like, I'm not going to spend time on the radio this afternoon looking at the last four teams out and well, they were snubbed because Wichita state slipped in, but that team didn't make it. And they no, it's a waste of time to me because Wichita state's not going to win anything of value. History tells you that they're not going to win anything of value. So I don't even waste my time on snubs. It's just not a thing I care about. Um, just a waste of time unless like I said I mean Ole Miss had a case a case Um, and so we'll discuss that but otherwise eh, doesn't matter what matters is the top few seeds and who they are because they're the ones that rise to the top as always but I'll put that aside for now we'll talk more NCAA tournament as it goes on Uh, I kind of buried the lead this is really what I should have started with today but Um, Drew Brees made it official yesterday. Drew Brees officially, officially, officially retired from the NFL, and uh, we now know what he was waiting on. And it was the 15-year anniversary of him signing with the Saints. That's what he was waiting on. He already restructured his deal to save $24 million against the team's cap. You knew he was going to retire after they lost to the Bucs in the playoffs. When he looked back at the stadium as he was running off the field for the final time, when he and Brady and his kids were playing around on the field, you knew that it was coming. No matter how many times Mike Florio could write a clickbait article about why Drew Brees isn't retiring yet, everybody with a brain knew that it was going to happen. And um, yesterday it did on the 15-year anniversary of his signing. And I actually watched uh, the interview with him this morning on the Today Show because he's joining NBC and Hoda Cutby on the show, my wife loves Today show, um, is a big Saints fan. So it made sense for her to get that first interview post-retirement. Uh, he told the story about um, when he was a free agent after um, the Chargers decided to go uh, with Philip Rivers. Breeze was available and visited New Orleans. And it was six months after the hurricane hit the city. And Sean Payton was showing them around and was trying to show them the neighborhoods that were basically still intact. Like here, this is where, uh, you know, you can raise your family here and buy houses here and all that stuff. But Sean Payton uh, took a wrong turn and, uh, went into a neighborhood that Bree said that houses were off the foundation and they had to turn around because there was a tugboat literally in the middle of the road. So that they, they got stuck in tugboat traffic. And that's when he decided to be the quarterback for the Saints. When he saw the city at its weakest, and so legacy aside, I mean, there's not really a whole lot that can be said about him that hasn't been said already. Um, after that playoff game, we kind of spent some time that on that Monday radio show. Of course, I wasn't doing this yet, um, talking about him as if he was retiring because he was. That was his final game, but it's quite simply uh, obvious that aside from the records and the Super Bowl and the touchdowns and the accuracy and everything else that came with Drew Brees being quarterback, um, no player has ever meant more to their city than Drew Brees does to New Orleans. It is possible, if not downright likely, um, that the team moves without him. Um and I'm not from the city. I, I adopted the Saints when I moved to Jackson years ago. Um, so I'm not from the city. And even still, like, talking to people that, that have been around it that are from there, um, that team was a galvanizing point, and he was the leader of that team. And nobody thought that you could win a Super Bowl with the Saints. And here he is visiting the team, and the city is destroyed. Like I said, they got stuck in tugboat in the middle of the road traffic. And that's when he decided to play for them. You know how many people would have looked at that and thought, I need to get the hell out. I mean, I can't play here. There's no way I can play here. I mean, what is this place? It's, It's wrecked. It's nothing. It's flat. It's just ruined. That's when he decided to play there. And he turned what was a franchise that was filled with losers and losing and bad teams and bags on heads in a city that had just been destroyed and I know all of you, I, I mean, I remember watching that first in the Dome game against the Falcons, and Tony Kornheiser was a, a color analyst for that broadcast, too. I'll never forget that either. It just didn't fit. But um, there's no player that has meant more to the city that they played in than that guy. That's the legacy. I mean, you look at his records. Uh, Most games of 300 or more passing yards, most consecutive seasons with 20-plus passing touchdowns, that's 17. He's thrown for over 300 yards 123 times in his career. Most seasons with 5,000 passing yards, fastest to reach 70,000 passing yards, all-time leader in completions, all-time leader in career passing yards, most pass attempts in a playoff game with no interceptions since 1948. Most pass completions in a playoff game with zero interceptions since at least 1948. Most consecutive games with 20-plus completions since at least 1950. Most games with 400-plus passing yards at 16. Most seasons with 4,000-plus passing yards, that's 12 that he did from 2006 to 2007. Most games with three-plus passing touchdowns at 97. Those are all of his records. He's second in touchdowns. I mean, he is, if he's not, at the top, and I just read all those records to you, he's near the top of every single one. That's not his legacy. His his legacy is being the galvanizing point in a rebuild of a city that had been decimated. Nobody has meant more uh, to their team than that guy. Nobody. Um, and he'll be a legend in that city, in that region, forever. Um, without him... I don't think it's crazy to say that the team's not in that city today. It's not crazy at all. And delivering a Super Bowl to that city after all that, just a few years later. I mean, it wasn't long after uh, he signed there. And long after they were um, doing the rebuild, that they won a Super Bowl. That's his legacy. It's not the passing yards. It's not the completions. It's being the galvanizing point in a city's resurrection. But we've talked about this a lot before. I mean, we've spent so much time on his retirement, but now the question is, who's next? You've got two news items. Well, first of all, uh, Drew Brees, uh, what he's going to do next himself. He's officially joined NBC. We knew that was coming. He kind of pre-signed a contract. Um, initially, they said he was going to be the color analyst for Notre Dame games. This doesn't sound like that's going to be the case, which I think is good for him. Forget that. You get buried doing Notre Dame games. He should be doing the NFL. Uh, he has now officially joined NBC. He will serve as a studio analyst for Football Night in America, which is Sunday Night Football, um, and a game analyst for Notre Dame. So he's still going to be buried with Notre Dame. Um, I won't see him much on there. But in the studio for Football Night in America is great. He will also work Super Bowls and the Olympics for the network. I'm curious to see how Drew Brees covers kayaking. but um, So that's his next step. But what about the team? you had a moment uh, yesterday where Adam Schefter tweeted something that got a lot of people confused, in part because those people can't read, or at least not fully, but also because Schefter worded this terribly. So I'm going to share my screen for you. and um, Let's see. Here it is. Okay. So So many people saw this and thought that Taysom Hill signed a $140 million contract with the Saints, and that really confused a lot of people. I mean, look at the way this is worded. So if you're listening in podcast form, Adam Schefter said, the Saints are restructuring Taysom Hill's contract to create cap room. The details are great. It's a four-year, $140 million contract extension. Most people stopped reading right there. And just thought that the Saints paid him four years, $140 million worth of a deal. But all years are voidable, and it's a mechanism to free up cap space this year. It leaves the Saints over seven, or it saves them over seven and a half million dollars against the cap. Uh, Schefter also um, said that this was a, laying the framework for his deal if he performs well this year as the starter and moving forward. Um, That's not the case. This is quite simply the voidable years thing. It's kind of confusing, but basically what this will do uh, will allow them to spread his signing bonus into multiple years, spread some of the money he's currently owed into multiple years, instead of having to do it right now, of course, to free up cap space. The four years, $140 million thing, it could have been $540 million. You won't see any of that. It's just a salary cap manipulation move and nothing more. Um, Then you have this. uh, Deanna Russini said, It's no secret that the Saints uh, like Jameis Winston, she says, and want to bring him back. The two sides are working on getting a deal done. She adds this would not mean Winston is the starter. If it gets done, it was explained that there will be a quarterback competition during camp. I jokingly said that I hope it's a competition between uh, Jameis and himself. Um, But I do think Sean Payton really likes Taysom Hill. Obviously, he really likes Taysom Hill and would be doing him a disservice if he didn't at least give him a shot. But if Taysom Hill is the quarterback of the Saints in week one, I'm going to pull all my hair out. I don't think I have to worry about that. I think that if they are bringing Jameis back and they're giving him what's probably going to be a Cam Newton-esque deal, a very incentive-laden deal, um, it's because he's going to be the starting quarterback for the team. You also had the video of Drew Brees pointing at him in the playoff game and saying, it's your team now. I mean, aside from the fact that he's an actual quarterback that can actually throw the football with any kind of consistency and understands how to play the position, um, that It sounds like that's what they're doing. Taysom Hill's contract does not mean anything at all. It's just to save money against the cap. It does not mean he's going to be the starter. I'm sure that Peyton's going to give him chances to win that job, but they're not bringing Jameis back unless Jameis is going to be the starter uh, because he's an actual quarterback who can actually play the position. Now, I mean, I guess maybe there's still a chance that they go after Russell Wilson, but if they do sign a, a deal with Jameis Winston – um, They must be committed to him or they sign him and then trade for Russell Wilson, I suppose. Uh, Reports were that Chicago is going to make some kind of a godfather offer uh, to Wilson. But um, it sounds like Jameis is going to be the guy. They could draft a quarterback. Most people think that Kyle Trask is going to fall into the second or even to the third round. So maybe that's the route that they go but giving Jameis kind of a bridge deal, maybe a two-year incentive-laden deal, or even just a one-year. I I don't know if he'd take that, but um, fill it with incentives um, and make him prove it. But in terms of should it be Jameis, should it be Taysom, I think that question is the easiest question to answer in the history of football. Uh, It's Jameis Winston, because interceptions aside, I know that's a a big thing. He threw a bunch of interceptions. Interceptions aside, Jameis Winston threw for 5,000 yards in a season. That's not on accident. He's got the weapons. He's got the coaching. He's got the offensive line. And he actually understands how to play the position. Taysom Hill is over 30 now, and he hasn't played quarterback since he's been in the NFL. And he didn't play very good quarterback in college either. This is a no-brainer. If you bring both of them back, it's because Jameis is going to be the starter, and you're going to use Taysom as a gadget guy. But that's what it sounds like is next. People are tripping out over uh, Taysom's contract. And again, like I've told you guys before, I'm not going to even address people that talk about the salary cap. Um, I mean, so many people that cover that cover the NFL even don't understand that. Number one, um, Mickey Loomis has been doing this since 2002, the cap manipulation stuff. It was not going to come back to bite them this year, the way some people say it was covid took $16 million off the expected cap. You make these decisions years ahead of time. So before they knew COVID existed, they were anticipating the cap to be at a certain number this year. They would already be millions under the cap if it was as normal. And yet they're still going to get under. They're like $7 million above right now. They'll restructure a few deals, maybe release Alex Angeloni or something. Uh, I, I think he's still under contract. They they will get under it, and the core will still be there. The worst player they released was, as much as I liked him, an aging Emmanuel Sanders or Quan Alexander, who just tore his Achilles, or Janoris Jenkins, who's an aging corner. The core is still there. So they're going to get under the cap, and the core is still going to be there. And yet you still have some people that question, oh, well, it's going to come back to bite them eventually. Well, when? It's been a 15 years, and they still it hadn't come back to bite them yet. So when is it going to? COVID took $16 million off the expected cap, and they're still going to get under. And Kamara and Ramcheck and Armstead and Demario Davis and Michael Thomas and everybody, Cam Jordan, their core, Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams, the core is still going to be there. And you're telling me that it's a problem now? It's crazy. I, I I don't know how you can cover the sport and think that that it's come back to bite them. The Chiefs had to cut three starting offensive linemen, but oh, that's fine. It's just like a blip on the radar. If the Saints cut Ryan Ramchick, everybody would be ripping on it. Oh, see, so it would come back to bite them eventually. But the Chiefs cut both of their starting offensive tackles, and oh yeah, that's just. Salary cap stuff. Get out of here. It's ridiculous. Um, it's, a, it's a weird day. And um, I was talking to somebody the other day uh, who, who's from the city and been a Saints fan for life about Drew Brees, and it's it's just different. Um, it's just different than any other quarterback and what they've done for their city. <sighs> what a legend. First ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. Uh, probably should have had another Super Bowl in there, but that's okay. That's uh, that's okay. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Uh, we will have all three baseball coaches. I know I didn't talk any baseball here, but uh, on the radio show this afternoon, I will. I cannot wait to get Scott Barry's thoughts on uh, <laughs> on what happened on Friday night, the viral moment that Southern Miss baseball had. Uh, I can't wait to hear what he has to say about that. I wonder if he likes it. We uh, we will see. But we'll catch you on the radio show. If not, uh, don't forget again to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just search my name. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, It's free. Ring that notification bell so you'll see every time a new video gets posted. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a rating and a review. Enjoy your week. Be safe. There's going to be some storms coming. And uh, I'll talk to you guys again tomorrow at 8. I'll give you the details on the bracket challenge here uh, within a few hours. And uh, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow.